0: Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions past and present of Black people all around the world to luxury fashion. And as always, I'm your host, Taniqua Russ. So my plan was to just come on here and do an episode this week like last week didn't happen like I didn't skip last week. Um, but I thought long and hard about it. And I was like, y'all deserve better than that. Uh so I know I missed last week and I know this is starting to look like a bi-weekly podcast, but I promise y'all it's not. Um just I I'm just trying to get it together. <laughs> but give me a little grace. Hopefully, today's episode will make up for it. So I'm really excited about today's black fashion figure. I know I always say I'm excited because I truly am excited about every single person that I talk to and that I get to talk about on this podcast, but today is a little well every day is extra special but (laughs) I'm putting a little sauce on today because today's interview just took me way back and I say way back like I've been doing this for years but took me back to last year when I first started this podcast and how I really wanted to create a platform that could serve as an audio archive for our contributions to fashion whether that be um Now in the year 2020 or, you know, past in the 60s, 70s, 50s, 40s, whatever have you that didn't have an opportunity to be recorded. Uh, And when I started this podcast, I first thing I did, of course, was go to Google because I had to find people to talk about. And on Google, I kept coming across the same list of like 10 names. And I blew through those 10 names in the first 10 episodes, (laughs) but when i would read those lists i always i also would see that there wasn't a lot of information on people now there are some people who are some designers or fashion contributors who wrote books about their lives or had other people write books about their lives or they had some things recorded and so that provided me with a little more context and information to go off of but generally speaking not a lot of information out there uh, on us in fashion hence the reason why I started this podcast but one of the names that I would come across a lot is designer Jay Jackson and it would be the same blurb the same one or two sentence about him being the first American to head a fashion house um working for Jean-Luc Cherier. Uh and that was pretty much all the information that I could find on him For someone who achieved such a historical accomplishment, I just knew that there had to be more information out there on him. There obviously is more to the story, but I just could not find it. And I didn't want to do an episode on him without doing it right. And that's how I feel about all of the fashion figures that I talk to and that I discuss on the show is that I really want to do them right and I want to share the right information. I want to highlight their accomplishments and their successes, celebrate their hard work, and really give them the shine that they need. So it's my duty and my top priority to do them right. Now I said all of that just to say that I searched high and low and I came across an amazing woman who is not only a designer herself, but she is a fashion historian, a curator, and the lead authority on Jay Jackson. Her name is Rachel Fenderson, and she was so amazing to come on the show and color in the lines for me fill in that missing information so that we're able to share the story of Jay Jackson and continue to add to our audio archive of amazing black fashion contributors. Stay tuned and after the break we're going to get into my conversation with Rachel Fenderson and we're going to talk all about designer Jay Jackson. This is just part one though so that should tell you that we talked a lot and it's a lot of good information so you'll want to listen. So, you want to start a podcast, right? I know it can seem really daunting and complicated to have to think through how to record it or how to edit it and even how to upload it. But don't worry about any of that. I'm about to give you the only tool you need to create an A1 top of the line podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started today. Now, let's get back into our content. I'm
1: so excited to be here to discuss this with you today, and it's such an honor to be able to discuss Dave Jackson with you and your audience. Um, anything to spread the wealth of information on him
2: so you describe yourself as the lead authority on designer jay jackson how did you become that um and if you can describe a little bit about your background not just in this work but in fashion in general sure okay so should i start with my background first and then leading
1: to your okay so I actually, um, started designing sometime probably in junior high school and high school. And, um, I actually decided to go to Hofstra University and pursue a degree in English literature. Um, at the time, I wanted to be an attorney. Uh, throughout the, my, um, four year at Hofstra, I was drawing dresses, <laughs> um, while, while I was obtaining an English degree. And then, uh, subsequently thereafter, I decided to apply to Parsons, uh, the new school of design. Uh, when I was in junior high school, my sister saw my interest in fashion and she gave me the um, college pamphlets for both Parsons and FIT. And I remembered that and I actually went back and found the original ones that she gave me. Um, oh, like cool. Later, right? <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like 10 years later, I found it. And that's what allowed me to really pursue Parsons. Um, and, you know, I went online, I looked at their programs, and I found that they had this perfect program for me. Um, and it was really for students who already had a bachelor's degree. And wanted to, and had a strong interest in fashion, and wanted to obtain another uh, degree without having to start over as a freshman and a sophomore and go through core classes and things of that sort. You could just go straight into um, the accelerated program, which was strictly fashion courses. Um, so I ended up getting a applied associate science degree in fashion design from Parsons in New York. Um, and, you know, I transferred in all my credits from Hofstra, and that's how I was able to go straight into fashion. And from there, you know, I was studying fashion history, fashion law, as well as fashion design. I even took a fashion tour class to learn how to do, like, uh, technical t- techniques in hand sewing. Um, so it was super fascinating just being there, being surrounded by the students. And I can tell you that I was incredibly challenged. To this day, I tell everyone, that was the hardest degree that I ever um, a it was harder than getting my bachelors and my masters. Um, the teachers really, you know, challenge you. For instance, when my pattern or my shoulders is like an eighth of an inch off, my teachers would say, you know, do it over. It's not correct.
2: And I was like, you can't even see an eighth of an inch. You can't even see it. <laughs> and they
1: would say, but, you know, Rachel, it adds up. And they, they were right, you know, and, you know, they demanded uh, perfection. Um, from me as well as everyone else, and also it was the reputation of Parsons. They wanted to produce the best things possible. So, yeah, from there, I decided to uh, work for other fashion brands, um, and I wanted to work on their business side so I can learn how to operate a business so I could start my own company. Um, and then while doing that, I found that it took up so much of my time that I wasn't able to have any uh, personal time for myself to start a company so I decided to work as an executive assistant and also to like, um, gain like a large amount of capital, um, salary wise so that I can put that into my company. And that's how I ended up starting Pepper Jack. Um, from there, which is, it's my women's wear brand. I started with my sister, Marsha. Um, from there, I decided in 2016 that I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to uh, pursue a master's degree, but this time in fashion history and theory in Paris. I thought it was such a great opportunity to be able to live abroad for two years um, in another country, studying fashion, (laughs) experiencing uh, what fashion is like there, and seeing more other opportunities that I'd be able to gain. So that's actually how I was, my trajectory (laughs) of heading towards uh, Parsons in Paris, and
2: then ultimately writing about J. Jackson. What made you choose fashion history as your field of study when you went to obtain your master's? Um, so when I decided to choose, um, uh, well, fashion history and, like,
1: um, anthology and other forms of, like, anthropology and sociology, all of those fields fall under um, actually what my master's is within, which is fashion studies um, and fashion theory. And what made me actually choose that is I wanted to know more about the history of fashion and how it actually worked in the industry, especially as it would impact someone like me who is a person of color and a woman and how I'd be able to like maneuver better. And one of the best ways to be able to do that is to really know the industry that you were in very well. So I thought, okay, I can pursue this but also be able to bring my brand abroad. <laughs> so it was I had like a multiple goals <laughs> of interest of going to Paris. And I mean I've always wanted to go to Paris also. Um, and I always wanted to live in another country, and I thought this, was, this would be a great opportunity to do this.
2: And so then you were saying how that kind of led you to your um, study of Jay Jackson. Yes. So, um, but to backtrack just a little bit,
1: I knew a J. Jay Jackson when I was at Parsons in New York. I had a teacher that told us that we need to really research designers and know about their background and look at how they produce their collections and so, you know, I researched many designers and I came across Ellie Scott, was one of my favorite designers, Opus designers. Um, and then I came across Jay Jackson and I read about him and I can only find on like brief notes. Um, so he was always in my, um, in my memory and in my head. It's just that I, um, wasn't able to find a lot of information on him. And that would have been during the time of 2007, 2008. So when I went to Paris, and I was studying there, I found that the curriculum uh, wasn't that reflective of people who look like me. <laughs> and it, it did not include people who look like me. And that is something that I definitely challenged with my teachers and my advisors. And I often found that I was the one that was bringing, bringing in supplementary um, information um, to add <laughs> to the discussion or to even um, just challenge the historical narrative. Right? like For instance, ideas of Fashion um, being created um, by Europe, for Europeans, and within Europe, and I, I thought that that was ridiculous and impossible. Why? Wherever humans are present, fashion is present. How right. is it how, Like that's like it's like an insane way of thinking, you know? Like this like stronghold of only people who are within Europe can define what fashion is, and have a um, that is underneath a particular type of lexicon and. In reality, it, fashion is defined by however, um, who, whichever groups of people are present, however it is defined in their cultural codes and within their systems, however they determine what fashion is, that's what it is, right? And so all of those things brought me to um, Jay Jackson. I took a course called Fashion History Mediation. Within that course, I um, had to present on, I think the era was in 1960s in New York. So typically when you're, in, when you're getting a master's, um, the teachers required that you present or you end up being the lead for the class every week. So you have to present on the readings. And my um, the week that I actually have in the shoes this is 1960s in New York City. And I found that there weren't any designers of color that were mentioned in these articles. And I was just like, hmm, this is interesting. Um, and so that actually sparked an interest in me to look at people who were building and cultivating businesses during the Jim Crow era. The 1960s is the Jim Crow era. So I said, okay, I'm going to look for designers that I know existed during this time and see what research I can find on them. So my end of the semester paper, particularly for that course, was on four designers, Elizabeth Peckley, Ann Lowe, Arthur McGee, and Jay Jackson. So the first three, what they all had in common is some form of documentation that was extremely thorough. Elizabeth Keckley, she gave her own self-agency by writing her own book on her own life, mm-hmm. <laughs> documenting her own story.
2: Which i reading now.
1: Right. right. It's, I'm pretty sure it's excellent. <laughs> um, even how she was able to obtain her freedom for her and her son. I mean, yeah. Her story is just beyond. And then you have um, Anne Lowe, right? And Anne Lowe is largely credited with Um, making the garments for a Jackie O, her wedding dress,
2: as well Mm -hmm. as
1: other, like, the lodges, the Rockefellers. She's dressed a lot of, like, society women in New York City, Um, and a lot of her garments were in vogue. It was just that they removed her name um, due to the fact that the audience probably did not want to know of um, a person of color, a person who's black, making the garments for these women. And then they later on credited her, but it was largely due to racism. Then you have Arthur McGee, and then someone actually wrote a book on Ann Love, right? And then you have various other scholars who have, like, really, like, written about her and discoursed her and, like, really talked about um, her entrepreneurship and things of that sort. Then you have Arthur McGee, where I think the Metropolitan Museum, they did a exhibition on him. Where they possess his garments. Present day, you can find an interview of Arthur McGee uh, with the Met, where he's discussing how he became a designer and it's on their website online. But with Jay Jackson, I couldn't find anything. I found one article and his obituary that was posted in the New York Times. And the article that I found um, it's an article by Yvette Delafontaine. It's called, it's actually titled Young Blacks Trying to Save Couture House. Friends Turn to Americans for Fashion. and this article, I find that many journalists present day and writers are regurgitating the same details that are within this article, and it's not exactly accurate. And so I thought to myself, well, you know what's the best way that I can honor this person and give this person um, a great deal of service is to actually do the research and put the work in and make sure that this person's... Uh, name and what he did within history and his historical contributions would forever be remembered. Um, so that's how, that's also what led me to Jay Jackson. And that very same teacher, you know, when I wrote my paper, she saw that I had the least amount of information on Jay. And she's like, you know, Rachel, when you're considering writing your master's thesis, maybe consider Jay. She was like, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just saying, consider it. <laughs> Very nice way of you should really look into the person. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And I'm super interested in him. Also, he's from Queens. I'm from Queens, so you know, I wanted to uh, know more about this person that I didn't know anything about, even with finding the information online. Yeah, so that's how I ended up writing about Jay Jackson uh, from my actual my final master's thesis. Throughout my research, I found that um, no one has done any investigatory research at the level in which that I have done um, for my master's thesis, of course. But also, no one has written a biography on Jay Jackson. And I was able to do both within my work and cultivate so many sources. I was able to build a designer archive. Um, I can tell you that I've visited so many different museums. I've flew to different countries just to meet with other people, to interview them, um, to find out about Jay Jackson. you know, i really tried to unearth as much detail and information as possible, and I would sit in the library on the in the 13th around the month. and I would sit there for eight nine hours a day, every day, and I would only find one. I would only find one article at a time. I would find his name. Sometimes I'd find his name misspelled. Um, I would look for Jean Luc and that way, a lot of times um, in France, the metadata is not tracking J Jackson's name, but I would mm-hmm. I would look under other designers to see if I can find information for them and by way of finding them i would find finding jackson you know for instance if he worked for them
2: well i know you told us that you know he's from queens can you share with us some more background information i know that's a loaded question because this <laughs> is a man with um who's done tons of amazing things over the course of his life but if you had to give like a high level overview of jay jackson this is where he was born this is what sparks his interest in fashion. Can you share some of that background? Oh, sure, of course. Okay.
1: So, first thing is, uh, G. Jackson was born on August 30th, 1941, uh, to Mr. Sidney Jackson and Mrs. Ethel Rena Jackson. And his father is actually from, um, the South, from Charleston, South Carolina. His mom, um, Ethel Rena Jackson, she's actually from Massachusetts. And they both actually moved to Queens, New York, um, sometime during the interwar period. And that's where they ended up meeting and they had Jay Jackson and his siblings. So Jay Jackson is actually the youngest of four between his mom and his dad, and the youngest of five from his mom. Uh Jay Jackson has a fraternal twin. His twin is actually named Sidney Jackson. And his eldest sister, her name is Helen, and his second sister, her name is Arlene. And his eldest brother is actually named William Robinson. Um, from there, the family, you know, they would raise their children in South Jamaica, Queens, actually in the South Jamaica, Queens housing complex. And his father was actually a, a trained um, trombone player. And he went to college. He was college educated. And his profession at the time was a tailor. Um, his mom, she was a stay-at-home mom. And she eventually became, um, a woman who would go to different houses and be their caretaker um, you know, she would iron and press clothing and things of that sort, you know, to garner some forms of money. Um, you know, J. Jackson and his family, they had to ration food as children. Um, and his parents together, you know, they grew up poor. Um, and the father at a point, it was hard for him to find a job. If you think about the time period in which J. Jackson was born in, so that's 1941, right? That's the heart of the Jim Crow era. And his father, mm-hmm. Um, left the South. So he would be considered part of, um, one of the people who are from the great migration, right? Where African Americans were internally displaced in America, you know, due to like domestic terrorism, escaping the KKK, and, um, general terrorism mm-hmm. that was happening to them, right? And, and like the Jim Crow laws that was impeding on their everyday, um, life. And of course, the color line that would prevent them from being able to get employment. Um, and, like, endless types of things that was um, obstructive to their uh, general way of living. So you had this type of thing happening, and then it was difficult for the father to get a job, and then at the same time the government wanted to take the children away from the um, the mom and the the father. And if you think about it, the irony. So you have these laws that are preventing (laughs) this father from getting employment, being able to be in specific spaces with people who are white, you have the color line. Then you have the government that wants to come in and take the children away. The irony, it cannot be lost in anyone. You know, and the the mother, she stood up and was just like, no, you will not take my children away. Um, If we're going to be poor, I'd rather that we be poor together than we be poor apart, you know. Mm -hmm. So really, like, the mom and the father, they came together and made sure that they – you know, took care of their children. The father eventually got a job as a trackman for the Long Island Railroad. Um, Jane, you know, he would grow up and they had, like, a regular everyday life. According to his sister Arlene, Jay Jackson was ahead of his time. Eventually, you know, he, um, and speaking of him being ahead of his time, he would uh, babysit um, for his neighbors who were the Weber family. And eventually, one day, he asked his mom if he could move in with the Weber family, and they moved to St. Albans, Queens. Um, and the Weber family actually purchased the house. So the Weber family, they were young and hip, and the Jackson took a liking to them. He actually took a real liking to the mom, too. She was super fashionable. Um, and she would actually make her garments, and he would sew with her and make garments together. So that's also part of where his fashion interests would start. You know, and then from there, you know, he went to Jamaica High School um, and decided to study law. And when he lived with the Weber family, um, they were educators, actually. So, like, the father was a principal, and I believe that the mom um, was in some form of education as well. And so, because they were, like, hardcore educators, they made sure that Dave Jackson did well in school. They went to all of his parent teacher meetings and things of that sort. And that's also what sparked his interest in law and wanted to pursue law. And so, he eventually ended up pursuing law and going to law school. Um, he went to Hunter College prior to going to law school, and then he went to NYU Law. While he was at NYU Law, um, he decided to make a garment for his then-girlfriend, which would have been Renee Hunter, um, and they were going to, I think it was called the Party of the Year, which is either the Cody Award, or it was something similar to what we would see today at the Met, the Met when they have um, the Metropolitan Fashion uh, Show, which, which is usually a themed out event, right? So something similar mm-hmm. to that. But this time, at that time, it was students who were invited um, to attend. And from there, uh, D. Jackson and Renee, from what she was telling me, they were super enthralled with the moment and the uh, starlight and the possibilities of fashion. And they thought, you know, they really loved being in the vicinity and being in the feeling of it. And they decided to uh, leave law school, uh, work at a band for about a year to save some money to do costume design and take a course at FIC. And then that course turned into a full-time program where he was there, and he stayed until getting his applied, um, excuse me, associate's degree in fashion design. So he was a class of 1966 at FIC. While being at FIC, that's where he was able to meet different friends who were able to introduce him to buyers uh, for Henry Bendel and Lauren Taylor, and they picked up six pieces for him. And he was able to garner maybe about $20,000, and that money allowed him to go to Paris and pursue fashion there. And the reason why he went to Paris, he said he wanted to be around the best. He wanted to learn from the best, and he wanted to create from the best. So instantly, so think about this. This is 1968, J. Jackson's in Paris, February of 1968. And how I know that date to be a more accurate date um, versus the date that's actually on his cat de Chisure, it's because he had a letter with a correspondence between him and Herbert Givanti. In the letter, uh, G. is saying, of course, you can come to my atelier. You can look at um, the different collections, etc. Unfortunately, I won't be there, but you can go ahead and check it out on your own. Um, and that letter was dated February uh, 1958. The interesting thing about that, if you think about the time series, that's two months before Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. So that's to give you the client and the feel of what America was like. During that time period, mm-hmm. right? And so that's him pursuing fashion at Jean-Louis Charier. Right away, he was able to get a job working with Jean-Louis Charier as his assistant designer, creating haute couture and press of porter collections. Sometime in the year of 1969, Jean Charier had a falling out with his financiers. That's not an uncommon thing where designers would bump heads with the people who are helping to finance their company. And that can happen. And it can happen where designers can actually lose their company to the financiers, especially if they have more percentage on ownership. Serge Masha ends up producing the very next collection, um, which would have been the fall-winter collection. And then thereafter, Jay Jackson becomes um, the lead and the helm of jean Louis Scherer. And this would have been sometime, I would say, around the later part of the year, leading into December, because you know you have to release collections in January.
2: So about a year and a half from starting at Jean Luc Chirier, Jay Jackson now becomes the head of the house. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly Exactly. the. How incredible!
1: (laughs) Also. He didn't know how to speak French. Like, that—that oh, wow. That is something that people should really take into consideration. He did not know how to speak French. And so, um, learning about Jay Jackson being at the helm and creating this spring, summer 1970 collection, it was. Incredible and astounding if you really think about it. And that's what makes Jay Jackson the first American and the first African American to create Au for a French Au brand. It was in that instance, and also again, Jay Jackson uh, a few years later ends up taking over Jean Louis again in creating and creating Au and pressing Porte collections. Also, due to the fact that Jean Louis ends up losing his company again. Because he was always um, selling his company to financiers to garner money money to produce these collections. As we both know, producing an open store is not an um, expensive thing to do. So you need the capital to be able to produce and compete. So then I would say um, in the year of 1970, remember how I told you Jay said when he went to Paris, he wanted to learn from the best, right?
2: So yeah. one
1: of the – you know, being at the helm, it's amazing um, – but also, I mean, I think for him, he was also designing and learning from Jean-Louis Scherrer, which by looking at his resume and looking at how he returned to Jean-Louis Scherrer, when Jean-Louis Scherrer was able to come back and be at the helm of his own company, he ended up being the assistant designer. And what that told me is that they probably had a good working relationship because he returned as his assistant designer. And in the interim, they worked for E. Saint Laurent and Christian Dior. And he worked for them as their assistant designer creating, creating and Forte collections, haute couture, and ready-to-wear. And for Christian Dior, underneath Christian Dior's um, brand, there was Mark Bohan. Mark Bohan was actually um, head of Christian Dior, the person who was the um, grand couturier at the time for the brand. And Jay was assisting him. Then he returned to jean Louis working for jean Louis John Lund has a falling out again with a different financial share. Jay Justin becomes the head of John Lund again, saving Tour and Frederick Portney Collections. The interesting thing about him working for East St. Laurent is that I found when he actually interviewed with Yves Saint Laurent, Yves Laurent took the one look at him and said that you're not that type of assistant that I would like to hire. Well, they eventually became his assistant designer. <laughs> and what's also super important about that time period in 1970, um, if you think about it, that's when American fashion was really being put on the map, also because of the Battle of Versailles, right? So you have American fashion being put on the map, and when you're looking at how it was like um, leisure wear and, it's comfortable and, it's, you know, it's not corsets are tight and rigid and um, it was going so you can move around in and you can be athletic and so on and so forth. That was the image that was being presented as the more popular type of uh, wear that you'd like to have, you know, more ready to wear. And American fashion is really being able to start to take over in that department. And so to think about it was so interesting They, who who is American designing for these French companies, also helping them, helping them to have a new fresh way of thinking of how to produce and create garments. All the while, still creating for companies in America.
0: And that's it for part one of my interview with Rachel Fenderson. If you enjoy what you've heard so far on Jay Jackson and you want to know more about him or Rachel, make sure to follow her on Instagram and her Instagram name is Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L-E-X-T. So that's Rachel E-X-T. She's always posting information about Jay Jackson and her current exhibition at the Queen's Historical Society. And of course, you can check her out on her website at PepperJacks.com. And that's J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. To find out more about her, her work, and about Jay Jackson. But most importantly, make sure to come back here again next week so we can finish out our conversation about Jay Jackson. I'm telling you, we have only scratched the surface. Rachel shared so many more anecdotes and historical facts that I promise you, you don't want to miss. And as always, make sure you're following us on Instagram at Black Fashion History Podcast. And of course, subscribe, rate us, um, follow us on your podcasting platforms, whatever you do. Just make sure you join the game. Bye-bye!